Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. It's pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. Glad you could all be here. You bet. I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through me and provides words of encouragement for those that have lost moms and those that are struggling with doubts about as mothers and to those that are praying to find and follow God's will in their lives. But let's have a little fun here first. Just to be transparent, men like to think that they run the world. They don't. Mothers do, as evidenced by this list about the top 10 great things about mom. First up, moms rarely refuse to take their kids to the emergency room. Dads, not so much. I've been guilty of that. Mom understands that you're not quite ready to quit sucking your thumb. And it's not cheating if she helps you write your paper. Mom understands that you can't give up your blankie yet. Only a mom could get all the socks organized. When you've moved away, mom will send you the newspaper clipping as of all your friends that stayed at home. Mom still uses that spoon rest that you made in pottery class. I think we all have one of those. Mom went without a new winter coat for 11 years. And mom really cares, really cares if you wipe your feet before you come in. And that's true. That never goes away. So it's good to have a little humor in the area of life that sometimes can be quite challenging. Someone I was talking to about this upcoming sermon on Mother's Day asked me a question I really did not know the answer to. What is Mother's Day and why do we celebrate it? It might surprise you to learn that Mother's Day, the Mother's Day holiday that we celebrate on the second Sunday each May, it wasn't born out of a desire to create a commercial opportunity for greeting card companies or treat moms with a day off or to buy them gifts. No, it began as a women's movement to better the lives of other Americans. And it's attributed primarily to three women, Anne Reeves Jarvis, Julia Ward Howell, and Anne's daughter, Anne M. Jarvis. So let's take some time and meet these three women. First is Anne Reeves Jarvis, who was known as Mother Jarvis. She was a young Appalachian homemaker and an activist who in the mid-1800s organized Mother's Day work clubs. This was in West Virginia, and the purpose was to combat unsanitary living conditions responsible for the high infant mortality rate that was pervasive in Appalachia at the time. During the Civil War, she organized women's brigades, encouraging them uh, to help regardless of which side their men chose to fight on. After the war, She proposed a Mother's Friendship Day to promote peace between former Union and Confederate families. Next is Julia Ward Howe, a famous poet and reformer who you may recognize as the author of the Civil War anthem, The Battle Hymn of the Republic. She was involved in the U.S. Sanitary Commission during the Civil War, helping to provide hygienic environments for hospitals and sanitary conditions for sick and wounded soldiers. 
Julia Ward Howe felt that mothers should gather to prevent the cruelty of war and the waste of life, and around 1870 called for a Mother's Day for Peace, dedicated to the celebration of peace and the eradication of war. Her version of Mother's Day lasted a short 30 years, ending right prior to World War I. Last up is Anna M. Jarvis, who wished to memorialize her mother's lifelong activism after Mother Jarvis's death in 1905. And she began campaigning for a national day to honor all mothers. Her ideas were more simply about honoring the role of motherhood and the sacrifices made at home. In 1914, President Woodrow Wilson designated, designated the second Sunday in May as the legal holiday dedicated to the best mother in the world your mother. Eventually, what began with church services held in honor of all mothers, living and dead, gradually evolved into the holiday, as the holiday went mainstream. Anna was dismayed as it became more and more commercialized, and so much so that she didn't even want the holiday promoted at all. So here we have three women in history who championed efforts toward better health and welfare and peace and love. We commemorate the many ways that mothers have fought to better the lives of their children, from social wel welfare to, to nonviolence. And we celebrate our mothers in their varied roles to this day in church services, honoring the way that they've raised and nurtured their children with love and courage. As Christ followers, we always want to follow scripture to guide us and allow them to reorient us to God and his activity. Notably, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33, the Word of God teaches us to honor women and to love our wives as Christ loved the church, to prefer harmony and humility and our wife's interests above our own. Today, in our scripture verses, we find a poem about the virtues of a noble woman found in Proverbs 31. And we'll start with verses 10 through 17. An excellent wife... Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax, and she works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. We believe this is Solomon writing about the words of wisdom his mother spoke to him. And like most mothers, she wants to have some input into the choice of her son's wife. She knows the kind of woman that would make him happy, and she seeks to instill this in his mind. But it's an interesting question to begin with. Who can find an excellent woman? Were they scarce back in those days, and are they rare today? Perhaps this is the ideal one man can't find. Please understand that while this woman embodies all the characters, characteristics of wisdom mentioned in the book of Proverbs, this ideal is not held to expect that any woman would look exactly like this in every respect. So we can all relax now and take a deep breath. This describes a virtuous woman as one whose heart is true, her hands are gentle, her voice is kind, 
She tends to her own business and to her relationship with God. Her husband trusts her character and management, and she elevates his influence in the community. I think you would agree this is a good partnership right off. Each spouse lifting up the other so the best shines through to the betterment of each. A virtuous woman is strong and courageous and industrious. She knows that these traits must be passed along to future generations. She's a good manager of what is entrusted to her, and she uses her energy to create and sell her own merchandise to provide security for her family. And even if she is difficult to find, it's no wonder why, because she's working so hard. As we walk through these verses, you'll see that seemingly she is working everywhere, on everything, for everybody, from dawn to dusk, not in a codependent or even a busybody way, but in an entrepreneurial or business sense. These verses say that she works with willing hands. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's still, while it's still yet night and provides food for her household. In today's world, this means that she would put, be putting in great effort to find the best value for her family. Rising early, she's researching healthy recipes and putting together the shopping list. And then she scours the grocery ads to find the best prices from a variety of stores. Only then does she venture from the house to visit multiple stores in one trip that will save her the most money. Economical and efficient, she's frugal with her time and her money to provide for her family. Strong and courageous, she's capable of engaging in the marketplace for profit. This wise woman is involved in real estate and manufacturing and marketing and accounting, and she's profitable. In my life experience, I've met quite a lot of these women, particularly mothers, and this is their everyday life. Wrangling pets and kids, cleaning house, doing laundry, prepping three meals a day plus snacks, running kids to practice, and on top of that, homeschooling in some cases, or running a business. Some of the most successful people in the insurance and investment world that I came from were women that needed the flexibility of self-employment for their family. They discovered that they were driven and disciplined enough to succeed in business and really enjoyed the ownership responsibilities of leading staff and selling in the marketplace. Additionally, they received company and industry recognition and commensurate compensation for their efforts. There's no glass ceiling for these women. Unfortunately, I've also come across some husbands and fathers that don't want to lead their household. But instead, they lend to the chaos that's occurring in some cases. These men engage in culturally unacceptable behaviors like male pride, workaholism, coveting or lust, gambling, and the like, but these practices are not biblically acceptable. They produce financial and emotional time and relational tension and competition for our wife and our family. So men, if we want to experience happiness in our marriage and family, we need to stop doing what the Bible makes clear is unacceptable. Obeying God in your marriage and family can bring true happiness to you and your spouse. So let's move on to learn more in Proverbs verses 18, 18 through 25. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. 
She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. So are you beginning to see a trend here? What are her hands doing in verses 13 through 20? She puts her hands to the distaff. Her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. When we see this repetition in Scripture, it means it's important. This virtue means action. This wise woman recognizes opportunities, and she's getting things done. I believe this not only applies to our household, but also in bringing glory to God. Exodus chapter 35, verses 25 and 26 show us Moses giving instruction about constructing the temp tabernacle. And it says, every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens. All the woman, women whose hearts stirred them to use their, sc- their skill spun goat's hair. In today's Western world, we may not know much about the art of spinning wool. And I've really only seen it at county fairs or in quaint little shops like in Deary uh, next to the Pisafe Bakery. But most folks are not familiar with the ancient process of making yarn, beginning with one hand to hold the distaff where the wool is attached, and then pulling out the section of the wool out with the other hand. We can see what it looks like in this picture on the screen. Each section must be carefully twisted and pulled down to attach it to the spindle, allowing the weight of the spindle to pull the fibers out of the compacted wool. The fibers then begin to spin around the spindle, during which the distaff must be held with one hand, and the other hand must keep the fibers from tangling, making sure that each strand of wool becomes a neatly spun spool of yarn requires time and devotion and attention and thoughtfulness. And these are all traits that lend successfully to managing a household and a business and giving time to the needy. While researching last week, I came across the acronym SPINDLE that offers characteristics by which we might might model our lives. So perhaps we'll all find these uh, helpful. First up is S. S is for servant-minded. A servant's business is to act in accordance with his master's will. In Mark 9.35, it says, And he sat down and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. P is for prayer warrior. We can never stop praying. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I is for intentional instruction. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. N is never give up on doing good. Never be critical of others. Never let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. D is discipline. In Titus chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. L is for love. Continue to walk in love because Jesus first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever has love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. E is expect. Live in expectation of good, not harm. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and forever. Back in Proverbs 31, we'll see in these verses the extent of the woman as an entrepreneur. Her children are mentioned only once, and her husband just three times. She's active in the public square and pointedly successful in business and the marketplace. Moreover, she was wise in the preparation for the winter season and has ensured that her family has adequate clothing and blankets. She's confident in her ability to plan for the future with her strength and dignity and is not fearful. In verse 17, it says, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. And here again in verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. This woman does not worry about what the future holds. She trusts God and she trusts her abilities we would do well to keep in mind what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant with which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. He's telling us that the ability to create wealth is, is a divine gift, and it's intended as a confirmation of our covenantal relationship with God. This noble woman in Proverbs 13 is not just a woman of exceptional wisdom and skill. In the way her business venture blesses everyone it touches, she embodies God's covenantal blessed to be a blessing, intention for us all. Verse 23 indicates this woman's excellent work and noble character have contributed significantly to her husband's success and his reputation when he sits among the elders at the gates. So it's a win-win for everybody. This type of partnership is hard to beat. Everybody's on the same page to make the most of what God has provided. All the synergy is going in the same direction to glorify God. Proverbs 31, going on to verses 26 and 31, it goes on to elaborate. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, 
but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The commentary in my ESV study Bible indicates this last verse means that for her excellent character and work, a woman deserves public honor. For almost 30, 43 years, I've watched my wife, Michelle, embody these traits. Godliness and strength and courage, industriousness, determination, and frugality. And now I watch our kids exercise them as well. Who knew when we met in high school, our sophomore and junior year, what our lives would be like? Even though I did not have a close relationship with God, I believe the Holy Spirit knew that she was the one for me. And he planted his word in my brain. No matter how many times I tried to mess it up, the Holy Spirit was working in Michelle too. And she did not give up on me. Together we raised our family of three kids. We bought and sold homes and businesses. We endured surgeries and medical issues. We've lost parents in the last few years, and we gained 10 grandkids. Most importantly, we've grown together, and we've grown in our relationship with God. And I say thank you, babe. I love you. We should all recognize that our first ministry is at home. Verse 26 speaks to the virtue of teaching with wisdom and kindness. This idea of discipleship should be nothing new to you if, if you've been attending here for a while. James regularly casts and recasts this vision at OCC that all of us are to be disciple makers. He's talked about the four-chair disciple pl discipleship plan, which, by the way, it works for our kids and our grandkids. You need to understand that every believer is a minister who serves Jesus and others with all they have. And then they eventually make disciples themselves. This changes the dynamics of the church. The ideal woman is the ultimate disciple maker. Similar to the process of disciple making, this ideal woman had three attributes defining a disciple of Jesus. A mental acceptance of God, a spiritual response to the Holy Spirit, and an obedience to the call of action. You can think of it as head and heart and hands. First we abide in Christ, then he abides in us. Then he sends us out to be his hands and feet in our community. That's the action part. He doesn't say sit on our hands, but instead he says go. We've seen the same thing as we've been walking through the book of Acts. Luke describes the apostles teaching the large crowds in the city, and then they go out, and they do miracles, and they teach the word of God. After a while, they come back to the city, they teach some more, and then they go back out. And the cycle repeats itself, and the church grows exponentially. Jim Putnam points out in his book, Disciple Shift, how a disciple grows in the four main spheres of disciple growth through what Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. First, the disciple's relationship to God in Ephesians chapter 2. Then his interaction with God's family, the church, in chapter 4. Then in his home life in chapters 5 and 6. And finally, his relationship to the world again in chapter 6. Putnam states that the key to significant growth is not simply education in each sphere, 
but rather that the disciple understands and submits to God's authority, is transformed by Jesus, and joins Jesus on mission in each sphere. Our job as disciple makers is to help one another focus on the most important sphere, our relationship with Jesus. Let's remember also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here, as well as in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, we'll see that there's nothing listed about gender. Paul doesn't list one group of gifts of being distributed to women and another to men. Instead, it says, to teach to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Each one means male and female. So we're all in this together. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, He said, go and make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded. And he wasn't speaking only about men. He was addressing everybody. All of us has a responsibility to be a disciple maker. Your church leaders here at OCC are the team coaches for you, and we cannot possibly do all the work, nor should we but we're committed to training everyone to do the vital work of the mission all of us have been tasked with. If we were to have a scorecard for success, we would want to ask these type of questions. Are we as a church corporately sharing Jesus with people outside our walls? Are we discovering ways to take Jesus to people in the world together? Are we loving a lost and hurting world and sharing our faith? Are we as a corporate body inviting people to connect with Jesus in relational environments? Are we in a small group? Are we inviting people to connect with us in our small groups as we live in the world? How many people are moving into ministry roles And how many new small group leaders have emerged? And then lastly, how many has God shown us who have a call to full-time paid ministry? We've been fortunate here at OCC to currently have two pastors on staff that have risen out of small groups right here out of our local body. Myself as a connections pastor and Wesley Schwartz as the children's pastor. Both are hires within the past three years so we may have the beginnings of a movement on our hands. When we do this disciple-making thing on purpose, good things happen, and God things happen. I think both Wesley and I would tell you that God spoke to us mostly through personal interaction with people right here in the body. Folks that invested in each of us over time, in youth group and small group, ministry council, and other ministries we became involved in here at OCC. This is what can happen when we all play our part, using our variety of gifts in our own unique way for the common good. James talked about unity 
in the church in a sermon last weekend. He talked about unity and diversity and understanding our spiritual gifts. He said, we all need to come together in God's church. Not 50%, but 100%. I believe that by embodying the traits of the wisdom woman through the book of Proverbs, we can all do this. Don't you believe your mother would be saying the same things? Be kind to each other. Love one another. I believe you can do it. You've watched me do it. Now you go do it. People need Jesus, and we need to answer the call. And we're all qualified. Have a blessed Mother's Day. Enjoy your families this week, and tell your mom you love her. Let's close in prayer, and if you want to spend some time at the foot of the cross, our folks in back will be glad to pray with you. Father God, we just thank you for being in our presence this morning. For people to hear your words through me. Father, I pray that each one of us would soften our hearts and hear what your particular message is to each one of us. How we can best be a service, how we can best fulfill your mission in our church, in our families, in our community. Father, be with us this week as we go out in our workplace and we interact with others. Help us to be disciple makers for you. In your son's precious holy name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.